0: Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me and welcome to my guest as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening in Sutton Lake Healthcare. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Doric, a South Florida physician who specializes in clinical gastroenterology and clinical hepatology. Dr. Doric's social presence on LinkedIn and his two-pronged social platform caught my attention and I wanted to introduce my Healthcare 360 audience to his unique approach. Dr. Dorick and I discussed popular eating plans and how they match up to his personal experience and how colorectal screening is saving lives. Dr. Doric is sharing his knowledge on social media, and I hope after listening to this podcast, others will be inspired to do the same. I'm glad you will join us for this very important conversation on Healthcare 360, as there is so much to learn, and hopefully together we can save a life. Glad you're here to join us. Welcome, everyone. Another episode of Healthcare 360. In front of me, I have Dr. Brian Dorick on the line, and uh, he's calling in. He had a busy day at work. Welcome. How are you today?
1: Hey, how you doing? Doing well. All good. Thanks for having the invite, and I'm happy to be here.
0: A couple quick notes on you, doctor. Just giving everyone a, a little bit of a, a feedback of, of where, what you've done and where you are. So you studied at Sunny Stony Brook. You completed your post-baccalaureate at Harvard School of Public Health. From there, graduated from the Sackler School of Medicine at Tel Aviv University, and you returned back to New York City where you completed internal medicine residency, as well as your chief resident at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, which is a part of the Columbia University Teaching Hospital. You then received clinical training for gastroenterology and hepatology at the University of Miami Jackson down here in Florida. And then Memorial Hospital, you have you were part of the Distinguished Center for Liver Disease, named by U.S. News as one of America's best hospitals for digestive disorders. I don't want to steal all this from pre-
1: there. No, it's pretty pretty close. But uh, you know, okay. moving barn on uh, my website has a pretty detailed bio. But it, the point is, I'm in clinical practice in South Florida now since I finished my fellowship at University of Miami in 2005. Mm-hmm. So a solid solid 14 years in clinical practice and. Preceding finishing my fellowship in gastroenterology and hepatology at the University of Miami, I think from the time I hit college at SUNY Stony Brook to finishing my fellowship was about seventeen years, so right. in the scope of things. So that was like seventeen years of training, and then you know, point is I'm in clinical practice now for fourteen years. I'm a part of the Memorial Healthcare System in South Florida, but I'm in private practice, um, clinical gastroenterology and hepatology of our practice, and. Basically focused on that, you know, and expanding into different areas, into nutrition and colorectal cancer screening, which have been my platforms on social media more and more over the past year or so. And just watching healthcare evolve around us, especially in South Florida, which is a pretty dynamic uh, healthcare, you know, marketplace.
0: One One of the main reasons really what caught my eye with you specifically is what you're doing on the social platforms and LinkedIn. I believe what, yeah, I you're, what you're doing right now is going to be the future of healthcare. And some of the, my previous podcasts I'd gone through, there's, there's various segments that we're identifying that are going to be transformative in healthcare from a consumerism point of view. What you're doing in your outreach and just answering general questions, I know it's helping so many people because you're saying, okay, eat well, eat healthy. And that's your, your tagline at the end, which is great. But you're going through small stepping stones. Hey, are you having these signs and symptoms? Are you having these types of issues? Here's what you should be looking into. And something that some people may be afraid to ask or set up that appointment because it takes time. You know, healthcare moves slow. So to set up a, a phone call and then make the, the meeting happen and then go we'll see you, that could be a week, week and a half. And you're doing it in 30 seconds. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: A week and a half is even uh, pretty fast. So I, I think the, the the point being is, yeah, I've been on social media for many years, a casual sense, a little bit on Facebook and different areas posting information on colon cancer screening and basically trying to build my private practice in South Florida. And you know, and there's some value to it in business, trying to have social media presence, trying to have online presence, and obviously reviews and presence matter in medicine and healthcare as in any service based industry where I'm a plumber, I'm a human plumber. And there's 15, 16 people within a stone's throw of where I practice. We all trained at University of Miami. We're all at the same level. We're all doing a good job. We're all good doctors. The question is, who's going to provide the best service? And my attitude always has been, besides setting the bar high for myself, and I'll make a comment on that in a minute, but I want to be Nordstrom's and be able to charge Macy's prices. We're in a healthcare market that's very monitored and very focused on by fiscal marks, And fiscal levels and fixable charges and costs. And that's a big squeeze top down. But we're also in an age of access and benchmarks of meeting certain criteria set by the US government and higher levels. And then HEDIS and the insurances, everyone's measuring. So everything's being measured now, providing the highest quality care at the lowest point of cost to the patient and to the insurers and to the providers that we serve. And being able to run a business where I can cover our expenses and our overhead and pay our staff and pay health insurance for our staff and provide 401k retirement plans for our staff and it's very very challenging but again the bar said for me it always started with the bar being said hi and the close on this part of the conversation i'll say is when i was taking a board review course many many years ago just as i entered into my subspecialty gastroenterology i was there with a 65 year old semi-retired doctor who was you know, recertifying and there for education, who said to me, I'm only as good as my last note. And it stuck with me through my career to this day. And so I can still remind myself, even though I'm backed up, there's people waiting, there's more and more information coming at me through electronic records or through papers or people providing me records when I walk in. I'm only as good as my last note. When I close that note and I sign that note and that information's there, I lock it in. It's my name on it, and I'm reflective of it. So that's where I've been setting the bar high. Not trying to cut corners on the encounter, as tough as it is sometimes to keep up with the pace and keep up with all the information that's just slamming us between the electronic records from, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, in this conversation in the structure of healthcare, when we have multiple electronic medical systems, none of them communicating with each other. Yeah. And just getting you know more Yeah, you know, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, you know, later on I'm sure. So you got different systems sending information in through electronically that's transmitted to a fax that comes out of a copy or printer that's handed to you on paper form or scanned into your EMR and you're looking at it in a scanned format and nothing's integrated, it it could be a nightmare and it takes a lot of time and energy if you wanna set the bar high and be thorough and be tedious and say, you know what, I have all these aspects of a patient's medical history in front of me, I wanted to decipher what's important, extract that information and put it into my OneNote, into my electronic record, and create the next le- that next level of continuity for my office. Right. So that's a, another conversation in itself.
0: Well, one of the things, and I do want to go back there, but one of the things that really yeah. highlighted you to me when I first looked at what you were doing on LinkedIn was... And this is oh gosh uh maybe like a month ago month and a half maybe longer how do you choose your doctor what is their bedside manner remember that one <laughs> and that really yeah i think so
1: yeah yeah exactly you yeah said, you say how do
0: you choose your doctor how do you have discussions with them and it was really just having that open communication when i started paying attention uh, looking at you and i was like you know something he's different there's something going on here and then i started seeing post after post after post and the problems that you were solving in thirty second clips, literally thirty second clips, I said wow, this is unbelievable. So first off, thank you. Second, right, sorry, I appreciate you have, it. You have to go I'm sorry you have to go through all that hassle with the EMRs because they are royal pain in the ass. And I know that from the ground up because I'm in the data business and healthcare. Yeah. And, uh, there's some answers. They're not full answers yet, but there's some answers that can help with that.
1: Again, let's uh, let talk, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, but forget the E.M.R. because it is what it is, and it was mandated under Obamacare. And there's upside and positive to it, but obviously, an integrated system on a national level is not going to happen in this country. But ideally, that would be the system, and you know, where the VA is talking to Cleveland Clinic, and the Cleveland Clinic is talking to Memorial, and they're talking to Mayo, and and everyone's system is integrated. It's never going to happen. It's not a monetized, it's not beneficial monetarily for all of the different companies that are competing in a marketplace mm-hmm. if everything was uniform. But that's a second conversation. Let's go back to the axis about social media and what I'm doing on and why I got into it and in how. Yeah. So, you know, so the truth of it is, like I said, I was doing it for a while, kind of building my practice. But then in the fall of last year, I kind of got involved in a diet with someone, a diet I did. I kind of lost about 10, 15 pounds of just excess weight. I'm pretty, lean and healthy and active but i kind of just shifted my diet so let me ask you a question how yeah. many
0: hours of how many hours of work you put in a week
1: i work like a 40 hour week in the medical practice you know a healthy normal week okay. i'm not working i'm not working like six to nine or ten o'clock every night like an intern yeah, yeah right right, right. Uh, well,
0: the reason why i'm asking because when when someone's looking for that 10 15 pounds i'm trying to correlate it is it work related? Are you putting in the sixty to seventy hours a week, which a lot of the healthcare administrators are? Uh, so I'm just I'm just looking at some detail there.
1: I'm putting I'm putting my time in, I put a healthy work week in, but part of my work week is structured on balance. It's structured on choices I made in my career and my office, health my my environment, the practice I chose to join, the model that we're structured our business on. Mm-hmm. And there's things we can talk about that, but my choice about losing weight and Shifting to a, shifting my physiology a little bit to take off that extra weight was kind of a place I was at getting into my late forties, eating healthy, quote unquote healthy and exercising and doing CrossFit classes and running and doing jujitsu and staying active. But we'll talk about eating healthy in terms of taking a handful of dried nuts on my salad or a handful of dried fruit or a big scoop of hummus or a big scoop of carrots and throwing it on my salad, or having a plate of pasta, and it was really a loss of kind of portion control and a loss of sugars I was putting into my system mm. inadvertently. It's yeah. like drinking make, drinking a Naked Juice, you know that company Naked Juice. Not to bash them, God bless them, but I was grabbing those and drinking a green drink from Publix or wherever it was, thinking I was eating healthy, but I was slamming fifty two grams of sugar into me, you know, with a God knows what else. So. I made some conscious shifts with the under the guidance of the coach at my gym, we had a diet, we got into it. I started to repackage it. We since have dissolved it cuz I kind of got more into my focus on healthcare and colon cancer screening at the level I'm doing on LinkedIn and he went back to you know the gym and what he's doing and the concept is very basic. There was no dramatic earth-shattering secret. It's it's balance, it's portion control, it's choosing the right foods. In a combination with my exercise, which has shifted from hour-long classes and going to try to do all these, big I do twenty twenty-five minute workouts on my own three times a week, mostly body weight stuff. I'm a big fan of the Freeletics um, app. They're a company based in Germany. It's free. F R E E L E T I C S, so Freeletics.
0: We'll have to add that test notes at the end.
1: Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great app. I use it. I'll do like. I did a workout this morning on the beach, 25 minutes. Um, I'm doing three times a week workouts like that. I'm getting back the weights again, but we'll talk more about that. I want to go back to where we started, which was about social media, what I'm doing. So when I got into this diet and got a little bit more involved in social media, I realized and I saw the the void of kind of quality healthcare being shared on social media platforms like LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So my platform is very simple. I stick to two things: social, you know, social media for me is about nutrition and colon cancer screening. But I'm sticking to my platform, which is very clear. And within the confines of those two things, I realized that the reach and the the, the depth of the reach I have through social media is so much greater yeah. than just talking to my patients in my practice. Even just discussing, like, posting on my business page about colon cancer screening, okay? People who know my business in the local area or are following me will look at my business page on Facebook, okay? But going into LinkedIn has now suddenly broadened this range of what I can share on such a global level that I have people direct messaging me from all over the world asking me clinical questions and stuff. And I'm not a doctor on LinkedIn. I'm not going to be a doctor on the computer for someone. There's an ethical malpractice you know, r- reality to it. But what I'm doing is by sharing my blogs and keeping my healthcare blog focused to three-minute reads very broad stroke, very basic concept. I'm not looking to educate someone on a, like they're a medical student. I'm trying to keep things basic and simple and to the point. Taking those concepts and sharing some of those through social media posting allows that message to get out, to talk about things about heartburn and constipation and hemorrhoids and gas and bloating, things that affect quality of life. Now, the quality of life, if someone's bloated or Having acid reflux that's severe, or having constipation, or diarrhea, per se, or crampy abdominal pain, that really puts a hamper on the Saturday night social scene. Or if you have urgency and you got to run, or you're having, you know, colitis or whatever is underlying, or, you know, quality of life is really effective. People's bowel habits are not where they want it to be, or people's ability to eat and enjoy food is not where they want it to be. Social setting environments are kind of limited and get hindered on and that's why i felt that by sharing some of this information realizing the way i can do it through linkedin is helping the quality of life of people on a much much broader scale than just my patients directly it's not happening in my area in south florida right you know people can wait i got a patient came to me today because the other doctor down the streets i'm booking to january and the reason i was able to see them because I'm also booked to far out, but I also opened up evening hours, you know, once or twice a week to offer access to patients who want to be seen after the business hour, you know, in the five to six range, as a way to provide a higher level of service in my practice. So that's where the benefit on social media, what I'm doing, is there's not a you know, a lot of people will direct message me because they don't want to mention like, hey, I'm having rectal bleeding, I'm concerned, or bloating, and it's kind of it's it's a little. Different than what you're seeing on LinkedIn, which is my main focus, to be honest with you. People are not talking about constipation and bloating on LinkedIn the way I am, but people are showing appreciation for it, so it it only fuels the fire to keep doing
0: Right. Your overall contribution to healthcare in the masses of what you're doing there, what have you seen as far as volumes? Because that's really going to be telling to really everyone who's listening here about that outreach. And again, how healthcare is shifting, what you're doing, how people are looking at that content and say, you know something, because what's going to end up happening eventually is you're the only one I know that's really doing exactly what you're doing in the format that you're doing in it. Uh, I I see a couple of other folks here and there, but not how you're, you're, you're making yourself approachable. You make yourself say, Hey, that looks like a likable person I could work with, sit down with Seriously, and so I'm looking at all that aspect of it and saying, okay, he's going to go triple or fourfold his volumes, and then I can see his expansions of his businesses, et cetera. So, what is in the numbers as far as the um, the outcomes? Have you seen huge metrics
1: in terms of in terms of social media presence and and business growth? I mean, the reality is, I'm in a clinical medical practice that probably has a five or ten mile radius. Mm-hmm. where people are going to come to me within a short driving distance. Google reviews are the highest driving force for local you know, business growth. People are going to go to Google. They're going to search for a GI doctor. They're going to find their zip code. They're going to see reviews. They're going to come to you based on that. They'll see the one-star reviews where people go on and vent for frustration and reasons. But the overall impression is what they'll get, and they'll come to you access through programs like ZocDoc, which I've been on for a while, coming off of it soon. But ZocDoc has been great for the same day, next day appointments. ZOC, VOC, it's a great platform, but they're changing their pricing model that's making it prohibitive for us to continue. So that's where it's happened. Obviously, people come to me from downtown Miami. They'll just come from up in Palm Beach sometimes to come see me. So people will drive 45 minutes to an hour, but there's so many good specialists around, it's, it takes a lot to say, why am I going to go out more than a 15, 20-minute drive to see a doctor? Right. So that's the truth of it. Now, what it, what being on social media has done for me in terms of growth, in terms of volume, it's opening up other opportunities for me that otherwise were not there. Home calls from California about some techs and some startups, conversations about being chief medical officers. My involvement in LinkedIn has expanded into different programs involving entrepreneurship. It's, just a, it's, 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 it's almost like I've become very focused and it's become clearer to me since I started with LinkedIn much stronger six months ago. And I'm actually connected with some pretty high, high volume people, some very high level people on LinkedIn platform who are very involved and very engaged on and people are following with great passion. So for me, it's about quality, it's about consistency, and it's about providing value and sharing what patients ask me, what patients question me about, and giving tips and tricks is the way I kind of looked at it initially to people that otherwise don't have access or won't have the choice to go see a specialist or don't want to spend $50 for the copay, or don't want to wait six weeks to get an appointment or may just be interested in saying, oh, wow, you know, this is, Worth you know three minutes of my time today when I'm scrolling at lunch or scrolling in bed before I sleep or who knows whatever.
0: When a lot of uh, folks when they see eat well, eat healthy, uh, eat smart, uh, that's that's great. And I, I, I love the message. It, it's awesome. But a, the average person doesn't know yeah. how to even read a nutrition label on their food box. What a carbohydrate is, how many calories or kilocalories, yeah. protein. Right now, the, the three big ones are carnivore diet the ketogenic diet, and then the plant-based diet. So when we spoke about a week ago, we talked about the game changers. And I don't want to put you on the spot for any of that. I'll I'll give you what I think my results are. But the plant-based diet, the game changers, I see the most benefit there so far. The tipping point, the straw that broke the camel's back, was when I saw the blood results. That was was significant. When I see the carnivore-based diets, I understand when everyone's talking about minerals and vitamins, et cetera. And then when I see the ketogenic diets and what they're talking about there as well, how does someone make everything, anything out of that? I mean, there's three significant – and there's in, when you look at the documentaries, right, and you mentioned this yeah. email, it's definitely biased for sure. Of course. Because when I found out yeah. with the, the Game Changer, uh, there is a – I don't want to mention names, but they're the big celebrity – who owns the number one plant-based protein supplied and it's a $140 million business, right? And that vertical just went up after that the documentary was released for the second time because it was the first release in the Sundance Festival and then released it again in 2019, which is now premiered on Netflix. How do you how does someone look at that information and what do they do with it?
1: I, th- I think, you know, just take the term diet and you know, however you want to look at it. It's basically like, how do you want to fuel your engine. You know how do you want to feed your body you know give you background for me just to make sure we're clear I grew up i'm four late forties turning forty nine next month, but I grew up no meat no fish no poultry my whole life so I grew up with parents in the seventies who were ahead of the game ahead of the curve in terms of making food choices for ethical reasons for reasons that the parents of the seventies said we didn't want to bring meat, fish or poultry in the house and starting around age one or two I was Really, un- I was eating eggs, eating plenty of dairy and plenty of cheeses. I wasn't a vegan, it wasn't strict, but there was no animal products in the home. Mm. In college, I started eating fish around nineteen. I wanted more protein. I was working out. wanted to build muscles, meet girls, etc. And never went to red meat. Never went to poultry. I've tried different things in my life. I've had a hot dog. I've had a lobster. I've tried a bite or two of chicken. Never had any red meat or steak that I'm aware of intentionally um and i eat fish now like about once a week but most of my protein is plant-based and i've been that way most of my life Um thank god no major issues to date my father's 80 he's on a plant-based diet completely most of his adult life he's trekking in the back mountains of india twice a year and he's highly functional and very very active and thank god doing well so You know, the movie, like Game Changers, for one, and we'll talk about the movies and the different diets. I think the basic premise is know what diet is. Diet is just choice. So I use, on my tagline, eat smart, eat healthy, but I also use balance, portion control, keep nutrition simple. So when you look at different food groups and what all these things are, labels and all this stuff is helpful. But, again, I'm, I'm trying to keep things simple for me. So I'm looking at things, and most of my food is based on greens. And plants, right? Good. And I'll have some. I'll have some carbohydrates, and carbohydrates can be a term that means interpreted as pasta, rice, and things like that. Well, those carbohydrates are going to spike your sugars and cause weight gain and changes in insulin and in different aspects, which we don't need to get into here. But there are other carbohydrates that are healthier. They're not going to spike the sugar. Things like fruit, things like plants that are natural carbohydrates, things like berries. Mm-hmm. have a banana have an apple so there's a carbohydrates there there's sugar there which is what a carbohydrate is but they're not going to have the glycemic they're not going to spike the sugar as high and cause those fluctuations so that's one way to look at carbohydrates so I'm not afraid of carbohydrates I don't avoid them I'm just more conscious now how much of them I eat and when I eat them so I'm not having big plates of pasta as my main meal I'll have like a fist-sized portion of Pasta or potatoes, you know white potatoes or rice or couscous with my lunch as a carbohydrate in my breakfast. I'll have a carbohydrate, but I'll have probably an apple or a pear or a banana mixed in with my green base you know protein shake, or I'll make eggs with some Ezekiel bread, which is a non you know non flour bread, which is you know carbohydrate with some eggs as protein and some spinach and some greens hmm. so again. You know how you balance it and what you do is fine, but it's portion. I'm not eating, you know, three slices of big French toast fried in oil. I'm gonna have, you know, a couple slices of Ezekiel bread, or I'll have a piece of fruit as my carbohydrate. And there's many, many options of things you can do, right? But the majority of the meals either gonna be protein or green based. Now, in terms of fat, I'm not afraid of fats either, but again, fats are taken in portion. And so, what are my fats usually? A small, Half, a, half of a handful of nuts, you know, walnuts or some cashews or sunflower seeds, or nuts of any sort, or some olives during lunch with my salad. Avocado is a great fat. Coconut oil is a great fat. So fat for me is that versus other fats that out there may not be as healthy choices. You know, the type of oils you cook with, you're cooking with oil, what's going to be a fat in your meal right there? You don't need to have avocado on top of it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes a good way to use some oil in your meal is I buy the at the grocery store the spray oil. Yeah. You know, yeah. spray some yeah, spray some olive oil, spray some this. Um again, there's a there's a huge list of different options you could have. I just kind of focused on the foods that work for me, and I'm good eating the same things over and over. I don't eat such great variety in my meals, but I have very tasty, diverse meals. Um my proteins, which again these to be eggs, you know, egg-based protein. Obviously, you try to go with organic and you know, and no antibiotics, no hormones. I moved away from eating a lot of eggs more recently. I don't eat as much eggs. I'm very big on plant based protein in a powder form. I get I use orgain as myself. You know, orgain O R G A I N is one of many companies. For me, it works for me. Um tofu is a big source, tempeh sometimes. There's plenty of plant-based options in the supermarket that you can get now. You obviously, if you're eating chicken or you're eating meat, you have protein there. I don't personally eat those, so I don't go to them. I'll have fish sometimes as a source. So, for example, for lunch today, what I had, I had a big base of a salad, plenty of salad on my plate, you know, a huge amount of green salad or, you know lettuce, not cooked greens, just raw and natural greens, nothing too complicated there. They had sushi at the hospital today. So the sushi I had. And what that I have? I had white rice. So there's a carbohydrate there. Had some salmon or a fish inside. Probably not the highest quality fish. Probably was farm-raised, whatever it may be. It's what I had in front of me. You know, so I ate the fish as the protein. had the rice as a carbohydrate. Tried to keep the rice to about a fist size amount. And I threw some walnuts on my plate for a fat. And, you know, that was my lunch. So, it's like, you know, again, sometimes you got to work with what you have. You got to make those choices. Sometimes preparing food and bringing yourself is what you need to do. And we could talk a little bit more about what I eat in the course of a day, but that's like a rough sense, you know, and dinners, majority of it needs to be for me, you know, protein is the base with plenty of greens and maybe some fat. So I'm not starving or hungry in the middle of the night, but I try to stay away from the carbs at the nighttime, try not to eat the you know, rice or pasta, carbs, but sometimes I do. And that's okay. Cause I kind of got to the, I lost the weight I wanted to lose and I'm maintaining it now. And that's why I talk about balance portion control, keep nutrition simple. It's like, get the general concept of what you want to eat, eat the right foods, make the right choices, have a sense of what your portion size of those should be. Get a sense of what the balance should be. Like how much carbs in your day is a healthy balance for you and eat and live a life. And if you go out on the weekend, feel fine to go out and eat. Like I'll have bread and butter on a weekend. I mean, I'll go out to a fine restaurant in Miami. I'm not going to sit there and have you a know, glass of water and a piece of cardboard. My tastes and choices and my palate has changed the more and more I focus on nutrition, that I'm not running to a restaurant and say, I want the pasta alfredo with the cream sauce. And just your body adapts and changes to what Look, when I was in high school, what was my staple lunch? Two slices of pizza and a coke. Right. Drive through it's crazy. Just do yourself a favor when you're driving to work tomorrow. Look at all the fast food. People lining up at Wednesdays. It's it's insanity the way people are eating in this country. I know. I mean, it's
0: when, when you see patients come in and you yeah. see a who has uh you know the, the typical signs and symptoms for colorectal cancer or someone who has colitis or Crohn's disease everything that you're specifically treating and that you identified in your website, are you asking them about what their diet is? Are there tendencies in uh, just, just norms that you're finding that are creating these same signs and symptoms with certain age, certain sex populations going all the way down. Like what's more typical for male versus female at what age do they start kicking in? One of the examples that I know is I remember a few of my aunts and uh, 40, 42, and all of a sudden they had all these food allergies, or they couldn't tolerate certain food anymore. Is there something that you're finding uh, in your practice where people are coming in and saying, hey, I don't know what happened. I was eating this my whole life, and then all of a sudden I, I can't withstand that food anymore, or I'm starting to have more signs and symptoms?
1: I think this is the start of the conversation. When patients come to me, and the bread and butter of what I do is colon cancer screening as a gastroenterologist. That's our one of the main focuses, but we see plenty of people with heartburn and IBS, and elevated liver function tests and colitis and other symptoms, the same, obviously. But the body mass index, the measurement, the ratio of the height and the weight, which is used as the gauge of obesity or being overweight in the country, and very easy to Google BMI, you know, uh, Bravo Mary Indian is a three-letter acronym for body mass index. You know, you can calculate yours on google and you can see where you stand and obviously it's, it's kind of ironic even the tallest leanest person because they're tall could have a high BMI right it, it, it's a gauge and there's so many people in this country so many people in my practice that are overweight borderline obese or even obese and one of the, the biggest things we deal with that I see a lot in more and more is fatty liver fat infiltration in the liver they could sit there chronically for many years Sometimes people have elevated liver tests from it and the inflammation from it. The point being, and why I want to mention uh, it is that the fatty liver over 15, 20 years can lead to cirrhosis or end stage liver disease. No different than if you had viral hepatitis C wow. or some other viral hepatitis. So if you're shooting heroin, you know, in the sixties and seventies and got hepatitis and it sat there for 20 years and became cirrhosis or liver disease, you know, now we have much more treatment options available for the virus. But I've seen many people sitting there with fatty liver for 20 years who come to me with end stage liver disease. And there's only one treatment for that it's liver transplantation. There's no magic pill or cure to flip a scarred, shrunken liver to normal. But if you catch the fatty liver early and then you see the elevated liver test or the inflammatory markers, from the fat deposition in the liver and the insulin resistance and all the things worsened by prediabetes, by this high, you know, sugar spikes and high glucose glycemic foods, you can reverse that fatty liver and you can reduce the, re, reverse the inflammation and prevent the progression to chronic liver disease. So that's a big area of, a like, that's a real silent, you know, kind of killer for me. And it's something I frustrating to see as a doctor when you have someone come in with that. And that reason they have a liver that scars because of, diet, nutrition, and choices, it's a little dis, you know discerning. Now colon cancer screening, we go into that, which is probably the third most common cancer. Fifty thousand people you
0: know, year, right, annually, you said on, on your post today.
1: Yeah, about fifty thousand people die annually, I think. And I think about say a hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand new cases diagnosed each year. So there's a few things we should talk about. One most common symptom of colorectal cancer is no symptoms. So the most common presenting symptom is no symptoms whatsoever. The most common presentation in terms of risk factors, like you have a family history, makes you higher risk. But that's about 20% of the pot. Probably about 80% of the colon cancers are spontaneous or sporadic, things that people never had or have no documented family history of colorectal cancer.
0: So if if a woman has a typical breast scan at, um what's
1: what's yeah, i think it's
0: 38 right they start and then it goes 45 etc so Mam- what?
1: well mammograms i don't know the age they start maybe 35 i think it's, it's out of the scope of what i do but right. i know that you know but the, the, the age same concept.
0: concept they should start in with you though right there's a certain age that need to it, yeah, get
1: yeah uh-huh. correct well we'll talk about screening in a second so one of the things we're seeing now more and more is an increasing incidence of colorectal cancer in younger people There's a growing, growing instance of colon cancer in younger people, even in the 20s. And we're seeing this. And we saw this before with a higher instance of colon cancer in African-Americans having more advanced lesions at the time of diagnosis. So the screening age of starting at age 50 with your standard colonoscopy, which is the gold standard, and there's many other ways to get screened, but the standard gold standard is still screening colonoscopy, was 50 years old. It was dropped down to age 45 for African-Americans. Now, the American Cancer Society in the fall of last year made a physician statement that everyone should be screened at age 45 for colorectal cancer, average risk. That means no family history, means no rectal bleeding, means no change of bowel habits, no anemia, no weight loss, no warning symptoms, just average risk. Healthy go luckily, no issues, no, no harm, no fouls, everything's good, 45 get screened. The insurances haven't all signed on to this yet. There's still some discussion, but you guys start thinking about colon cancer around 45. One, because of that position statement. Two, the shifting demographic and awareness that cancer is presenting earlier. And three, the concept is a polyp to a cancer takes 10 years. So a polyp is a little growth inside the colon, the large intestine. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: by cutting out these little polyps or removing these little polyps, we could prevent colon cancer. So again, it's a 10 to 11 year cycle from a polyp to a cancer. So by removing that cycle and removing the polyp, you reduce your chances of colon cancer, probably by about 90%. Now, not all polyps cause cancer. Some polyps are benign or disinflammatory, but all cancers come from polyps. So if you see a polyp, we take it out, send it to the lab, they look at it under a microscope, and then we make recommendations when you need to follow up, usually five years, if it's a precancerous cancerous um, That's the concept. Now, there's other ways to get screened. You know, there's virtual colonoscopies. There's now the guard, There's stool testing for blood. There's sigmoidoscopy. You know, at the end of the day, the best screening test is the one you do. The problem with the virtual colonoscopy for me is that you'd still have to go through a preparation. It picks up large lesions and may miss a flat lesion or a lesion that's not going to be seen with a 3d reconstruction on a cat scan the color guard is a good test if you don't want to do a colonoscopy or can't do one and have no history of polyps or family history and want to see if you have an advanced lesion or a cancer but what it's not going to pick up is the early polyp going can turn to a cancer five or eight years down the line yeah it's going to pick up something that's pretty advanced
0: they're the other um, company that just released a home kit. I just saw it on uh, commercial, uh, about a month ago. Exact before.
1: Exact Sciences. That's the one with the colon guard. that's right. It, yeah, exactly. Which had a huge, a huge market share or uptick recently when the FDA, you know, dropped it also to forty five for you know for indication. I believe it for. So the you know, point is, whatever test you choose, get it done. Colonoscopy remains the best test because. If you see something, you remove it. If there's a flat lesion, we can assess, it, and be able to prevent the polyps before they become advanced or really cancer itself. So that's one aspect about screening and the things to do. The other concept on screening is there's many screening tests out there for different cancers, mammograms for breast cancer, whatever it may be. Colonoscopy actually has been one of the only, one of the few, if not the only screening tests that's been proven to save lives. So screening tests identify cancers. Mammogram identifies breast cancer. Other screening tests like you know, skin checks pick up skin cancer. But sure. so colonoscopy has been proven to save lives. There's actually been some New York Times articles about it. Um, I have some information on my website. I'm sure my blog I've written about it or I post about it. So it's good to know that we have a screening test that identifies precancerous lesions, allows us to address them, but it's actually not just identifies the cancer but actually improves the ability or reduces mortality it improves the ability for people to live a normal healthy life from it even if the cancer is identified so with
0: the patients that you're seeing yeah what is the norm of the diets that you believe are contributing to these colorectal cancers in the, in the screenings where you're finding polyps is it a high sugar is it high-, high high red high red meat
1: High red meat. And again, this is not observational data for me seeing my own practice and identifying someone's diet and saying, Oh, because you ate this, you have cancer. That's some one person. You can't there's too many variables in any one person to say what causes cancer. There's genetics, there's environment, there's who knows what else. Right. But it's been it's the general literature and the general premise is that a high red meat diet is let's say high red meat, low fiber diet is going to increase your risk of colon cancer. So the, the converse of it is, or the inverse, is low red meat, high fiber, prevents colon cancer. And that's should be the takeaway. So low red meat diet, with a high fiber diet, obviously with exercise and no smoking and everything else, are going to prevent colon cancer.
0: One of the notes that I have is blood type diets. I read all about it. There are some that prove that it's legit. There's a lot of it that says that it's not legit. One of my, my thoughts about the diet itself is biochemistry. And I'll give you a, a really simple example. Some people who smoke weed don't get high because the THC doesn't mend well with their blood and doesn't provide the effect. So if you look at food if from a biochemical standpoint and how it interacts with blood, you would say, okay, that that's a rational, logical thought. Looking at the blood type diets, if I now I'm... Uh, a positive there. I'm not supposed to eat red meat, so if I follow the blood type diet that's suggested for me, which is high plant greens, uh high proteins from everything outside of the chicken the meat criteria, I do really really well.
1: I just well, let me tell you, be, no, yeah, but let me tell you, someone O type blood's going do very well on that diet. Some with B blood type's going do well on that diet. some with A B's gonna do well on that diet because why? You're having a low red meat diet, eating plant based, mm-hmm. so the diet conceptually and i'm not I, I read a little bit more about it today because I had someone else asked me about it the same and there was a big study in 2013 that proved there's really no scientific validity to the diet the point being is you're going on a restricted diet you're making healthy food choices you're watching what you're eating you're reducing your consumption of you know processed foods you're reducing your consumption of you know carbohydrates the unhealthy carbohydrates you're increasing your plant-based, you're going for more organic, you're using supplements, so you're just going to do better overall. Not because of the blood type, because of the restricted diet you're choosing to go on. Sure. I think, that's, I think that's the takeaway on it. I think whatever diet you choose comes down to what, what choices you're going to make. Yeah. So if you're choosing a low-carb diet, you're choosing this, look for balance, look for sustainability, look for restriction without obsessive restriction, if that makes sense to you. Agreed, And these restrictive diets, in my mind, and I'm only speaking again from, you know, one person's opinion, and believe me, some diets work, and yes, the ketogenic has roles for some people with epilepsy and other certain science, you know, medical conditions. But in general concept, eating a balanced, non-processed or unprocessed food, staying away from that, plant-based diet with focus on protein, focus on balance, focus on portion control, eating carbohydrates. But the right carbohydrates, the good carbohydrates, the slow carbohydrates, as they're called, the ones that are not going to spike your sugar, not the white flour, not the white pasta, but the fruits, the vegetables, the fibers like that, the whole grains. And even some of them are not ideal, but in a a rational way and as a part of the meal, not as the, the base of the meal, to incorporating exercise into your diet, to making the overall broad picture lifestyle choices, that's where the money is, right. not so much like one meal a day or intermittent fasting or not this or all keto or all that. What's your sustainable long-term plan? You know, what do you, how are you investing in your body? How are you investing, how are you fueling your machine that you want to carry you, God knows, 70, 80, 90 years? Right. Because that's all it is. I have a couple of
0: three things. <laughs> I have, uh, I've tried intermittent, I'm I'm behind the plant-based now. On top of that, with intermittent fasting, I've done the intermittent fasting every day. I've tried the 16 hours. It absolutely destroys me. I cannot do 16 hours. I can only go to 14. But I've limited myself now from seven days a week down to three days a week. Uh, Because if not, right now I'm maintaining my weight. I'm waking up at uh, somewhere between 2.22 and 2.24 on average. And I'm going to bed around 228. And I've been maintaining that for over a year. My blood pressure was 142 to 145 systolic. Diastolic was slightly over uh, 80. It was like 82 to 85 in that range. And it was static. So if you looked at my blood graph, my history over a year and a half that I've been doing this, I went from 142, stayed there. Next eight weeks, it was like 140. And then I had a significant drop. It went down to 115 over 80. And I've been staying there and just cruising
1: all the way along. But what's, but what's the general concept behind intermittent fasting for you? Is that you just reduce your caloric intake, reduce the amount of food? You, you know, that's where the weight loss came in from. I mean, however you get there is fine. Mm-hmm. If I'm just saying it for my own choice. I said, I'm going to eat five times a day, you know, three meals and two snacks in between. I'm going to lose 15 pounds. And I kept it off for a year myself. Well, here's what's happening and, with
0: the plant-based diet. I'm doing what you're doing now. And I'm, yeah. eating, I'm eating more. I was up till three o'clock. If you actually saw the email that I wrote you last night, I wrote that at two 30 in the morning. Yeah. I was up very late. I woke up no problem at seven thirty this morning and I've been up and I, I have a lot of energy right now. <laughs> and I'm yeah. so I still practice the intermittent fasting because I actually, I enjoy it. I get full really quick now with the plant-based diet. It's just working, and I've only been trying the plant-based diet. If I'm being honest, a little bit longer than a week. That's about it. But it seems to be working. I'm seeing a lot of results from it already. I'm going to the bathroom more normally. I'm sleeping a lot better. So it works. It does work.
1: I think that. uh, I think it's again finding what works for you. I don't think any extreme is the is the play. Personally, I don't think sustainability of an intermittent fasting diet is realistic. I don't think sustainability of these. Highly restrictive diets are realistic. So I think that making the right food choices and saying how how can I eat five times a day, including on three meals or two snacks or something like that, would allow me to keep the energy up, keep the weight down, keep the blood levels where I want in terms of cholesterol, in terms of you know sugar, in terms of insulin which can be measured, keep the blood pressure where you want it to be, keep the cholesterol where you want it to be, and I guess I think in the end. Plant-based, base, green green-based diets clearly are going to be is that, is that direction. How much protein you put in there, how often you eat, are all the different variables. But I think it's again, keep it simple, keep it balanced, think long term, think long game. Let me think go long game. One yeah. last
0: thing, at, yeah. So, yeah. Joe Rogan had a podcast. Sean Baker's on there. He's an ex orthopedic surgeon. Guys mm-hmm. really into the carnivore diet. And let me give you some of the facts that they, they went through in that podcast. He's been eating meat for about a year and a half, and he references uh, this gentleman. And let me give you him by name, uh, if I'm looking here real quick. Uh, Dave Feldman, he's a mechanical engineer, and they reference this guy in the film and the podcast on YouTube, and he had his cholesterol, I checked his cholesterol was somewhere around 300 or something crazy like that. So he started getting his blood checked every day, and then he found out on certain portions of his day, at certain times versus certain meals, it was like a roller coaster ride. So sometimes it would dip down to 180, sometimes it would dip up to 310. It was all over the map. So their recommendation for the same with a an all meat carnivore based diet, and one of the examples is this guy Sean Baker. He ate six pounds of meat in one day and didn't eat again for 36 hours, and he was completely fine because he got "quote unquote" all of his nutrition, the minerals from that session of eating. But going back to the cholesterol and on all those different factors, like how do you? How does someone? I mean, did this guy. I mean, Joe Rogan has nine million people following his YouTube channel and his podcast, and that was. Um, I was like, holy shit! That's what are they talking about here? Just meat, nothing else. No plants. No.
1: How do you create that? Yeah, I, I, don't, I personally don't listen to Joe Rogan. I know the name. I don't listen to a thing. I've heard about the carnivore-based diet. Even on the, the Game Changers documentary, which I did see, they talked about it. Uh, the, the UFC fighter was on a carnivore-based diet for a while. I, th- I, th- I think, the, without getting listen I, definitely going to piss people off no matter what you say. And some people are going to swear by it. And, and whatever works for you, works for you. That's my attitude. I tell people the same. Do whatever you want. Right. For you. It's your body, it's your temple, do what you want. I can only give you my opinion and share what works for me. Right. So for me, first of all, you're talking about cholesterol, measuring it every day. Well, you start measuring your blood levels every day. You're gonna see fluctuations and things too. No one's measuring their blood work every day. So it, it's kind of an insane concept to worry about that. Second of all, to say I'm gonna eat for 30, and eat so much meat, I'm not gonna eat for 36 hours. That's great if you're a caveman, you kill the freaking mammoth, you know, woolly, in, in the in the Arctic, and you can't find food for thirty six hours, and you got a saber toothed tiger is trying to hunt you down. So, there's no necessity not to eat for thirty six hours in this day and age with Whole Foods and DoorDash and Uber Eats. Right, not necessary. <laughs> in terms of carnivore based diet, let me just kind of step back from however joe rogan whoever these guys are feeling whoever impossible burger companies or everyone's doing in business and meat or meatless you know just look at look at life in terms of energy and i'm gonna step a little baby a little bit eccentric or step a little bit away from scientific medicine and the doctor role just, just look at life in terms of energy um i'm not here getting too crazy on you i'm not talking about luke and the force and, and star wars but life is energy you know, life is, everything's an energy field you can do infrared cameras you can do some technology you'll see energy fields radiating from you in that room more than the couch or the, the dead wall space behind you you can look at things on a level that you can say that there's actually movement within a rock that there's atoms and uh, the, at the lowest level of atomic levels, that there's actually energy and movement. So when you talk about consumption and fueling your body and fueling your, your temple, or whatever you want to call it, or fueling your machine, which is your, that's it. You have one machine. You have one heart beating from conception, right, to the end. That stops, it stops. The question is, with what do you want to fuel it with? You want to fuel it with live matter, or do you want to fuel it with dead matter? And in terms of a tomato or in terms of a cucumber, in terms of an apple or a peach, even if it's rotten and that peach is brown or that tomato is cracked and just nasty, you still can consume it. And that may not be the healthiest or the best tasting piece of food you're eating, right? Mm-hmm. One, it's still healthy. And two, you could take those seeds, throw them in the ground and life will come from it. So even though it's rotten and a little bit old and over ripened, it's still live energy. It's still energy that can generate and produce more life and continue on. If you have a piece of steak, whether it be the freshest piece of steak there is in the world, you know, fresh off the the animal itself, you know, killed by the butcher an hour before, there's nothing you can do with that that matter. It's dead matter. There's no life form in it. There's no way to regenerate life from it. There's no life energy in it. If you take that, take that meat or take that that's processed and anything is what, how many steps from the farm or the source to the, to the fork?
0: No one knows. So, right
1: no, no one knows. So I'm not, I'm talking about meat. I'm just thinking like the grocery store, all that stuff that's packaged, all the cold cuts together, you know, even this, you know, so if you're taking even the meat that comes in the head, the big pieces that the deli guy will cut for you, it's all a process. It's going somewhere. Sure. Right. So there's so many layers to get there. The question is take yourself into a slaughterhouse and think about the energy that's captured in the animal as it's being slaughtered, the, the fear of what that environment is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not telling people not to eat meat. I'm not telling people not to eat fish, not to eat poultry. I mean, do whatever you want. You're asking me an opinion. I'm taking things out to a level that's a little bit different in my diets or whatever Joe Rogan or any other big, massive social media account is talking about just look at food in terms of energy and decide what, how do you want to fuel your body with a live source of energy or dead matter? And I would bear to say that I would rather consume the majority of my fuel in terms of live energy versus dead matter. That's just my own personal opinion. And it works for me. It's how I'm eating. I do eat some fish sometimes. I do eat things that are in a bag. I do eat some processed foods. That's it. I'm not, I'm not, I do eat unorganic food, but you know, whatever. This is life. I can't control these aspects.
0: That's a unique perspective. And I never heard it that way before. That's pretty insightful. When you have uh, patients who come in and they're looking for nutrition guidelines, is there someone or a website or what do you give them so they can yeah. start on the right track? Cause it's always baby steps because they're eating poorly and they need to make that change. They're not going to go in yeah. cold turkey most of the time. So they're going to do it in no, Of
1: course not. So I, I definitely always encourage registered dietitian, you know, go speak to someone who's focused on nutrition. We spend so little time in med school on nutrition. It's scary. Really? You know, you're 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the course of four years. And literally it's, 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 it's criminal. Hmm. It's even more criminal. We don't even have a business course to know how to run a business or know what a spreadsheet is or to know how to, what a profit and loss statement is. It's also criminal because medicine's a business like everything else. Sure. Um, so I definitely lean on the nutritionists and dietitians in my community and encourage patients to speak to them, whether they're covered by insurance or not. There's so much online resources now, so many points of access to healthy nutrition lifestyle, starting a podcast, the YouTube, just do your due diligence, make good selections. You can hire a nutritionist, I sure, on the internet now, probably for about $29, $30 a month who will help guide you and walk you through a diet. I'm just guessing I don't know those exact numbers, but I can envision that for probably in the twenty to thirty or forty dollar range, you could probably have someone working with you on nutrition, diet, meal plan, etc. Yeah. I was with a I was at an event in Miami this past weekend. I was with a naturopath doctor from LA from Beverly Hills. She focuses on gut health and microbiome and a lot of things that I'm talking about more and more. And she has a ten day detox, like a ten day diet reset program. I think it was like ninety nine dollars or something. You know where she's basically giving you a whole diet and change, and I don't think she's selling a product with it. The point is, there's many points. The most important point is choice. You got to make that choice. Do I want to make a shift in my diet? And I'll be the first to tell you that accountability matters. Because when I wanted to make a shift in my diet, I went to the coach at my gym, who was running a dietary program, and said, "You know, I'll give you three months. I I want." And I use that accountability to lean on them and to share pictures at lunch of what I'm eating to make a phone call and say, hey, what do you do with this or that? Accountability matters. It's hard to do it yourself. It is. Yeah. And you know, and that's you know, and I and I've been approached more and more through my social media about doing executive health coaching and things of like that. And you know, it's it's an interesting area I may go into in a small scale in a very select way to provide accountability at that level to certain people if I choose to. But it wouldn't be broad because my focus is my medical practice. But it's accountability has great value. Yeah. And people need that kickstart. And then once you're up and running, it's then it's discipline. choice.
0: I can see that happening. You're definitely onto something again, going back to your social media and what you're doing and listening to you now, especially that really unique perspective of are you gonna eat something that's alive that can spawn new life or something that's dead. I've never heard that before. That's really a profound statement, and I appreciate that. But when you put that together with your social media and everything that you're doing, you can see why you're as successful and why you're as busy as you are. And that's exactly the, going back to why I said, hey, there's something going on here. I need to explore this and bring it back up. And again, part of my frustration with just the U.S. government and their regulations and what they, they put out there for nutritional guidelines is so frustrating at large because you don't know what to make out of it and the, one of the reasons why I've jumped around as much as I've jumped around because oh this is great or that's not great and the information's misleading and biased and then how do you break it down and then you you try to get to folks like yourself who know what's right and what's wrong and what's different and because you're seeing inside
1: <laughs> literally yeah you, you know what i mean uh, and believe me and believe me it all looks the same yeah you know, right. i I've done colonoscopies on very famous people. And I've done colonoscopies on very, you know, on patients who are indigent or borderline homeless, you know, or and I believe it all looks the same inside. You know, it's, we're all the same.
0: Anatomy is anatomy. And
1: anatomy is anatomy. You know, it's uh, it all looks the same. You go to YouTube. People say, <laughs> "Oh, you have a." People like, oh, "Okay, I have a video of my colonoscopy." I'm like, "No, but you go to YouTube. You'll see the same thing." It's, it's okay. you know, so basically. But what you you know what, how you fuel your machine? how you take care of your body, and there's so much now coming out of it, the microbiome, which is the gut health, the bacteria and viruses, the bacterial level of the intestine, how it ties into heart health, how it ties into mental health, such a growing field. And so, you know, It's exciting and overwhelming at the same time as more and more information becomes available. But what you're eating, how your body's reacting with it, how the bacteria are reacting, good bacteria, bad bacteria, inflammatory bacteria, anti-inflammatory bacteria, How to find that balance. Mm -hmm. This is the direction where it's all headed. You know, this is, then you start bioengineering medicines based on people's bacteria, based on how people are going to process. Yeah. That's where you start getting, I want to say genetically modified. I'm sure the word is different, but probably bio specific treatments, bio specific medicines here specifically for you.
0: What about, let me ask you this one last question before, because yeah. we're just up on an hour, a little bit over an hour, but I don't want to hold you too much longer. Yeah. There's a lot of advertisements now. There's a couple of celebrities pushing pre and probiotics in the first thing in the morning. Um, what, what's your take on pre and probiotics?
1: I mean, I mean probiotics, I mean, basically you're doing, just to keep a broad concept, you're introducing healthy bacteria into your bowels, mm-hmm. into your digestive systems. You're introducing good bacteria. And I mentioned just before, Bacteria are balanced between good bacteria and bad bacteria. Ones that's bacteria that stimulate inflammation. Inflammation that can cross the bloodstream, get into the body, go to other organs. And bacteria they're going to reduce inflammation or balance it out. So if you take antibiotics more than you need to, or take antibiotics for a reason you do need, you're going to kill off some good bacteria. Sure. So it's important to reintroduce it now. Probiotics are not regulated, so you don't know what you're taking. So you got to. Trial and error. Some of this going to help you. Some of them make it worse. Is it proven scientifically that probiotics benefit everyone? No. Do I recommend them all the time? Because there's very little harm to it. I think it's a healthy, a more upside than downside. Sure. And definitely with symptoms of bloating, diarrhea, cramps, there's a huge role for it. I find even with constipation, other things. It's just it also shifts people towards a more healthier mindset about eating. So yes, you know, celebrities can get on and discuss it. They're also getting endorsed and paid to yeah. do it. Yeah, there's some probiotics out there that are marketed on a mainstream like Floor Store or Align. These are marketed by Procter Gamble, the package, you get them at the pharmacy. But there's plenty of options at Whole Foods. I'm sure there's 50 or 100 options at Whole Foods. And you could ask some college kid or some... You know, grunged out Seattle-looking kid with a you know, ponytail, and they'll tell you all about it. And you're gonna have to try what works for you. Just, like I said, there's no right or wrong. I mean, even the, the kefir and just the natural probiotics, the natural ways to increase your microbiome through things like sauerkraut, kefir, and, and all this. You could actually, I have on my blog, you know, which maybe you'll tag below. I've written a few little blog posts about the microbiome and some of these things with some of the foods that are healthy there, that are natural forms of probiotics. Like, I don't eat sauerkraut or kimchi myself, but that's a huge source of natural probiotics right there. Mm. Um, again, I feel I'm eating a healthy, pretty much it plant-based it will, it will
0: diet. You'll be proud with that one because when they have their hot dog and sauerkraut at a ball game, they'll be able yeah. to get some good probiotics, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm having a probiotic that's been processed already and right. sitting in a can of fermented corn syrup. <laughs> Plus the hot dog, that God knows what is in the hot dog, right. in the white flour bun, with the ketchup <laughs> that's full of sugar, and the mustard that's dyed with God knows what coloring. So, God mm. bless. Right, but but it tastes good. I would I, I would I would say you know, I would my soliloquy would only be get yourself to a place in life where you have no desire to eat that. Get yourself to a place in life where you're like. I'm going to pack my lunch because I'm going to the ball game because I don't know what's going to be in it at, the, at the at the event. Like I, I'll be honest, this weekend I was at an event in Miami. You know, um, I'll say it people know it, don't pass judgment. I went to Tony Robbins' event in Miami this past weekend. UPW, great,
0: I love Tony Robbins.
1: Yeah, so he's he got great content. I, little, the the event was a little you know wild, but anyhow, the point is, his content's on point. A lot of this content's on point. So I went to the event this week. It was a four-day event at the American Airlines Arena in Miami. But there's no way I was in the count on eating lunch there. So I made sure I packed food and bought food with me. Um, you know, I had egg sandwiches on Ezekiel bread with spinach, a little bit of butter as the fat, a couple of those wrapped. I had a bag of sunflower seeds. I had a piece of fruit. I had a protein bar, like an RX bar. I had some more game powder protein. There's there's no way I was going. And I even took a, running out of the weekend, I grabbed a bag of lentil, whatever I had. I bagged a bag of spinach. I took some tofu. I'll eat like that. But again, it's a choice. You can go much, again, it's a choice. I wasn't going to rely on eating at an arena with some processed fried food. And when you see the way people are eating, you get yourself. I can only tell you. Or only give advice, if there's one thing advice. Make a choice in your life to get to a place, increase your consciousness of what you're doing to your body, because you have control. No one else is feeding you except you. You're not a child that's being put food in front of you anymore. Yep. You're all grown up. You're making that decision. And if you're gonna choose to get the fried chicken wings and have it with French fries and a soda, that's your choice.
2: Sure.
1: Then nev- that's you also yeah.
0: Series on Tony Robbins. I'm looking at it right now. Is uh, I am not your guru.
1: I am not your guru. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it was pretty. Exactly. Good. It was pretty good. It actually, in that series, they actually go through because he puts out so much energy on stage. Yeah, that he actually takes IV packs. Yeah, and uh, oh, agencies yeah. and, and everything else that he will need. Because and they actually go through. They extract some blood from him and they find out uh, what exactly he de- is depleted from and they give him exactly that.
1: Exactly. exactly. He's not he's like running. He's burning similar caloric content to a, running a marathon every time he gets on stage. They say. yeah but you know, he's an anomaly. He's not your average person. Obviously, God yeah. bless him. You know, he's not the average person. And guy too. He's a green
0: six four six five, right?
1: Yeah. He had but he had a pituitary tumor as a teenager a child, so he was had excessive growth hormone. So mm-hmm. he's that way because before they removed the tumor, you know, he had a brain tumor, which is what caused the growth. So. He's a you know, he's an anomaly, he's he's a very unique person and it's a great uh focus in terms of content. The event itself is something, you know, also be in conversation, but the nutritional value of the message to me was pack your own food if in doubt and sure. make those choices. So okay.
0: yeah. Well, I wanna close this out. I know you have to run. Final word is yours. What do you have to say?
1: Yeah, I think the final word is To me, you know, and part of the reason I got on this podcast with you, I think was through social media and seeing what I'm doing and being in healthcare and technology and the evolving, you know, space of healthcare is look for quality, you know, make your own decisions, do your research, be careful what you listen to, watching documentaries and Instagram and everyone selling this or selling that, just be cautious, be wise. Yeah. Keep things simple, keep things balanced keep things focused on portion control and making healthy sound decisions most of the time no one's perfect you're not going to eat perfect if you're not going to be don't be overly consumed and obsessive about your diet it's not a way to live you know uh, one of the things a quote that is applicable in life is don't let perfection get in the way of greatness sure and I try to bring that to me in my own life you know when you of someone like myself who has a very high bar and it doesn't have to be perfect so if you're eating good 80 percent of the time that's perfect yeah
2: that's, that's what weird. i'm
1: saying and so i think that like i'm not eating perfect all the time I, I go off you know i came home grabbed a handful of you know oprah and sesame sticks that's my cheat you know i grabbed some car extra carbs you know you know where i had skinny pop last night and it was emotional moment, I was just feeling overwhelmed. I said, like, eating popcorn. So it's just human. We're people. We're not perfect. We're not machines. We're not robots. We're not an Instagram Photoshop picture. And so that's the focus on diet in terms of social media and being on social media. It goes down to a general concept of just give. You know, Muhammad Ali says, you know, service to others is the rent I pay here for my time on earth. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Well said so, question is you know how you use social media for yourself as a viewer or as a contributor is a choice of how do you want to spend your time what energy do you want to bring into your body what type of how do you choose to enlighten yourself better yourself to thus hopefully better others close to you and others in your space and if you're contributing how do you add value to others so posting things for vanity for likes for fame for your own self significance, you know, is really not pure. It's really not what it's about. And people do it and people continue to do it, which is fine. But try to find some awareness in that that if you're gonna share and you're gonna you how can you add value? So sure. that would be my thoughts and ways to kind of bring in health, nutrition, social media, technology and healthcare to the close. Uh-huh. But um you know, listen, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on these social media platforms. Follow me if of interest. Watch it if it catches your eye. Skip it if it doesn't. My website, which is you can put below, which is BrowardGI, com. I have a blog. I put up some quick reads on different things you can share. There's free downloadable diets in both English and Spanish on common GI issues. There's no monetization. There's no money to be made by me sharing. It's just sharing information that I share with my patients, and having 17 years of training from going to college to finishing my fellowship, and then 14 years of practice, puts me in a position where I have a lot to offer and give people through LinkedIn and these other social media platforms, and that's what I'm doing. Right. There's no harm in giving some of that information to a broader audience than those that can see me face-to-face on a day-to-day.
0: Yeah, you so. doing a good job at it, and I want to thank you personally. Thanks for allowing me to ask questions that were all over the board. I I didn't want to go into this conversation knowing the expert that you are because, again, my frustration is a lot of other people's frustration as well. And if I have those questions and I do a lot of reading and a lot of research and I I dive into a lot of stuff to to break it down, Um, I'm just, you know, the first time we spoke, uh, you said, hey, I keep things simple, I keep things clean, I keep things simple. You said simple twice. I picked that up right away. I'd like to deep dive. I like to get in there and start breaking stuff down and to get to the root cause. So I appreciate you tolerating all my questions. <laughs> um, it, it it means a lot to me and I'm sure it's going to mean a lot to someone who's listened to this as well, to be honest. And what you're doing on LinkedIn, I appreciate I'm telling you, there needs to be more people like you with your approach and with the kind of heart that you have with the sharing concept and Really looking at it from that spectrum, because if everyone did that, we would all be better off. I really, truly, really believe that. Truly, so. But I want to say thank you and thank you for coming on. So, well, uh,
1: my pleasure. So yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, end, I'm gonna end you with a Tony Robbins quote. Oh, because for sure. please. The content's good. You appreciate some of the content. So, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And it's something he talks about in terms of Robin Williams, who you know committed suicide, you know, years past. Mm -hmm. And something that I think we all need to focus on, even in terms of diet and making nutritional shifts in our life, that even the smallest successes and smallest changes in your diet or your life, your lifestyle, whether it be exercise or awareness, be fulfilled and be take those successes as achievements, even if you gain some weight back that you lost things are going to continue to go in the right direction. As long as you keep the awareness. Sure. So say you lose five pounds, me gain two. Okay. Well, you're still down three. You know, it doesn't mean you're back to where you started. You're never back to where you started. Right. So it's kind of, I'll close on that. And I look forward to watching your podcast evolve and grow. And we'll have continued further conversations down the line. I hope. And, you know keep sharing with me on social media and keep uh, sharing my content with your listeners and viewing audience and anyone's always able to reach out to me connect with me on LinkedIn. that's the best platform i like to use but i'm obviously i'm on uh, twitter and instagram and facebook the same and that's it so it's dr dora from self Florida. reminding you smart eat healthy and reach out anytime
0: perfect i appreciate that thank you again take a minute to thank everyone for joining us today on Healthcare 360. It was my honor to have on the show Dr. Brian Dorick to talk about his professional healthcare experiences as a colorectal and hepatology physician. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HC360podcast or healthcareturnkey.com. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess with Healthcare 360. See you next time.